0: If you were here last week, you'll know that we are continuing our series on building an emotionally healthy church. And if you forget that any time during the uh, meeting in my talk, there's a banner right next to me. Just to remind you that that's what we're talking about. So this series started, um, essentially started last term. We had Roger Breverton, an amazing guest speaker who's a clinical psychologist, came to give us a talk about building an emotionally healthy church. And Roger, if you have a chance, go and listen to that talk, because it's absolutely incredible. There's so much that's worth thinking about in there. And Roger talked us through these virtues of building an emotionally healthy church. And essentially what we're doing this term is just slowing down over some of that content and thinking in a little more detail about it. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Josh. Uh, Most of my time... I sit, spend sitting down, reading books, drinking coffee, and eating biscuits. That's because I lead the glamorous life of being a professional philosopher. Uh, and if you hadn't noticed, the result of the glamorous life of professional philosophy is that I'm a little bit on the tubby side, you know? I am uh, probably, of the G2 speakers, the most overweight. I'm not ashamed to say that. I am, I am uh, what I like to describe as a larger gentleman. Although I once said that to someone who I also regarded as a larger gentleman, and they didn't take it so well. But anyway, the thing with being a little bit overweight is that people are quite happy to tell you that um, you've lost a bit of weight. And actually, if anybody else is a little bit on the tubby side, you'll find that um, you get told you've lost weight probably at least once a week. And the thing is, if I'd actually lost as much weight as people told me that I'd lost, um, I definitely wouldn't be overweight. Um, so I think that's quite funny, but but basically what I think this shows us is that as a society and a culture, we're quite happy commenting on physical health of one another. People are quite happy to tell me that it's great that you're looking physically better. Uh, we're quite comfortable with that, and actually, um, I think most of us will understand that we could be physically healthier as people. If you think that you couldn't be any physically healthier, uh, please put your hand up now. Anybody? Just stay Mason. <laughs> so one person in this room thinks they couldn't be any physically healthier if they tried. And actually, what I think is funny about this is that um, emotional health is something we all have emotional health, right? In the same way that I'm a little bit tubby and Andy Faulkner um, will put his runs on Facebook at least twice a day to embarrass the rest of us. Um, there's a scale of emotional health, right? Um, we all have an emotional health. Whether we think about it or we don't think about it, um, we all have some kind of emotional health. We all have um, these virtues to lesser or greater degrees than one another. But actually, in the church and in society, there's a real stigma about talking about our emotional health. And actually, one of the things we want to do in this series is say, it's actually really normal to have an emotional health. It's really normal to sometimes be struggling with your emotions. And that's fine, we want to address that head on, because it's something that as a church we really care about. It's something that God really cares about, and it's something the Bible has a lot to say about. So we should engage with the emotional health issues in the church. So that's what we're going to do um, over the course of this series. So last week, for those of you who were here, um, Emily did an excellent job of thinking through this bottom virtue here, the virtue of kindness, how we can be emotionally healthy um, and kind as a church and as individuals. And this week, I'm going to be thinking through this second one here, hope. How can we be individuals and how can we be a church that have this virtue of being hopeful? So what do you think about when you hear the word hope? Um, For me, it's probably, I don't know if you've ever been into those horrible, awful gift shops um, where you can basically buy words made out of wood to stick on your walls. Um, (laughs) And if you've ever had um, a wedding, you will get bought um, a lot of words made out of wood to put on your walls. (laughs) Um, And so this is the sort of thing I mean, like, hope is one of those things that, it looks good, doesn't it, when you put it on your wall. I mean, it might be meaningless and vacuous and you just shove it there for no reason. But it looks nice, doesn't it? It's friendly, it's hopeful. We put it on fruit magnets, like this one, right? Where there's cake, there's hope. Isn't that really funny to put on your fridge it? We have this concept of hope, right? And so hope sells products. Um, Hope can sell us things that we don't really need. Um, Hope can also win elections. We saw that Barack Obama won an entire nation just with this one word, hope. Hope can also um, tie films together. Um, Hope sells books. It sells films. It's something that we engage with all the time, this idea of hope. And it's also incredibly healthy, it's also incredibly important for our mental health. So psychologists uh, will tell us that if we're hopeful people we will be uh, physically better, we will fight disease quicker, we'll fight sickness quicker we'll be more successful. There's even studies to show that we'll be luckier if we have more hope. And so for our emotional health, being hopeful is very important. So before we get down to thinking of, it, of the nitty gritty, uh, I'm hoping that you're going to do hoping, you see, I didn't even mean to put that word in there, but I'm hoping that you're going to do some of the work on this for me. So what we're going to do, before um, I, we look at the Bible and we look at what um, God wants to tell us about hope, let's have a little think on our tables about what it means to be hopeful. What does it mean to be a person who has hope? So um, I'm going to give you three or four minutes on your tables to think of a few examples, as many examples as you can, of people that you would as being Full of hope. People are good examples of this virtue. And then try and pick out what you think it is that these people have, which makes them call them hopeful. And then when we've done that, I'm going to send out my little uh, roaming reporter from Essex to come and gather answers from you. So I'll give you three or four minutes on your table um, to just talk about hope, and then we'll come back together. Okay, good. So, just to clarify, somebody asked me as I walked past am I allowed to say Jesus? No, you're not allowed to say Jesus. That's a, definitely a cheat answer. So, um, Rosie. Rosie's over there. You can't see her. She is stood up. Um, <laughs> Rosie, okay. Um, go and find somebody who talked, go and find out who they talked about. Right, go and find someone that has something more meaningful to say. Well, Jesus, obviously. Uh, yeah. uh, anyone who buys a lottery ticket, um, that's uh, very helpful, isn't it? So, what is it about buying a lottery ticket that makes well, me hateful? It's helpful? a stretch, isn't it? That it's, it's mathematically against you. So, you've got to a lot of and you're going to win. Um, yeah, that's a great confidence. Yeah, that's a good one. So uh, buying a lottery ticket has some kind of hopefulness because the odds are so stacked against that person that the only thing they have really is hope because they don't really have a kind of rational sense that this is going to turn out all right. Good. So go and find somebody else, Rosie. Right, I'm going to go to the student girls. What do you think? Student girls. Anyone hopeful over here? (laughs) And program, she had breast cancer and then she's, I think she's like in her 20s, and so and she's told you about yeah, that for a couple years and then she ended up having 10 plus because she was yeah yeah, good, we often, I think that's often the case that we associate hope with illness, right, is that it's again, it's one of those things where optimism is really important, so there's a kind of link between those two answers, right, which is that there's an optimism in despite the fact that maybe it feels like you shouldn't have optimism, but there's room for optimism there. Let's go and find two more answers. So who, put your hand up if you've got a really good answer? Nobody. Ask Jeff what he thinks. Jeff's got a good answer. Well we thought there were people in this room that were hopeful. Okay. And that's one reason why we're like coming here. Okay. Because there's um, a hopefulness the in you. Okay, no, that's there. good. Is that really? No, that's really good, yeah. Yeah, and I think again, that's just, it's the same thing, right? Is that if we look across the nation in the church, and um, we don't see um, youth attending church, and I think I guess what you're getting at, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's a kind of optimism that youth can be part of the church, right, and that we can do something, that there, there, there is a better way. Good. So I think there's a there's a kind of link coming out of all of these. Has anybody got a final answer? Emily, yeah, Emily. Let's listen to Emily. I'm going to steal Freya's one, but I just really like what she said. She said people who work with marginalised people have to be hopeful because they have to trust that there's a way out of this kind of vulnerability that people are... Yeah, and I think that's... So the person that came to my mind when I asked the question right away, sorry to embarrass you, was we just heard from someone that's really hopeful, right? Swati um, says that despite the fact that there's awful things going on in this world, that it doesn't have to be like that that there's something better that can be achieved. Um, Good. So I'm going to cheat because I'm going to show you my video of who I think the most hopeful person is. And I think if this doesn't rouse you into having a thought about what hope is, then uh, nothing will and you're dead inside. So uh, hopefully (laughs) this will get you to get a feeling for what I think hope is really all about. So if we're ready, let's, um, let's watch an example of someone who's really hopeful. Great stories. They kept going because they were holding on to something. So if that doesn't make you well up inside, I don't know what will. But for me, that is just truly a picture of what we mean when we think about hope, right? By rights, we shouldn't be here. But there's something to keep going for. There is a dawn at the end of the darkness. There is a life at the end. There's some good in the world, and it's worth fighting for. That is a picture of, in my mind, what hope looks like. And actually, it's not just Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien that talk about hope. It's not just Obama that talks about hope. I think all of those people find their hope in a much greater understanding of hope. The Bible tells us a lot about what it is to hope. In fact, it's mentioned over 180 times across the Old and the New Testament. Jesus is described to us as being the hope of the world. When Paul tells us that one day spiritual gifts will fade, prophecies will fade, tongues will cease, he says three things will remain faith, hope, and love. Hope is incredibly important to the whole narrative of the Bible, right from the beginning to the end. There's this pervading theme of hope. Things don't seem like we should be here, but there is some good. There is some good and it's worth fighting for. There is some life coming and it is going to break through. And hope is essential to our worship. So we see in the Psalms, hope is one of the things that comes up again and again. In Psalm 25, no one who hopes will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Psalm 31, 24, be strong and take heart, all you who take hope in the Lord. Psalm thirty-three, twenty-two: May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. One of the core cool things that we worship for, that the, the psalmist wrote these songs about, were that God is our hope. And then we read in the wisdom literature, we read in books like Ecclesiastes. Um, I really like this quote about hope. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. If we're alive, we are people that have hope. And interestingly, one of the books that talks the most about hope in the Old Testament is Job. And I think this is a theme that kind of came up when we were going around the room, right? Is that often it's in great suffering that we see great hope, the clearest. And if you haven't read the book of Job before, you see an example of a man who's absolutely hounded... By this spiritual trial. He loses his family, he loses his work, he loses his land, and he loses everything that's precious to him. Yet Job, um, a man that is under the most intense pressure that it could be imaginable, says these words Though he may slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. So hope is a response to overwhelming suffering and difficulty. There was always something to hope for, and again we see this in the Book of Lamentations, which, if you haven't read, I'd, again I'd really encourage you to go and have a look at that book. It's a really fascinating um, book of poetry, which essentially I think would we could recall really it the Book of Depressions. This is this is these are the poems of someone that is utterly down and out, and they don't really know what they're getting up. Um, four in the morning. That they can't motivate themselves to do anything. You, you read pages and pages and pages of these heart-wrenching cries to God. He says, "I am the man who has seen affliction by the rot of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken." My bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. And I won't go on. But if you read Lamentations, it's just this heart-wrenching cry: that, "Where is God? Where is the goodness in the world?" But then, in the middle of chapter three, we see this really profound statement of hope. Lamentations three twenty-one says, "Yet I call this to mind." And therefore I have hope, despite all of the things that are going on around me. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly For the salvation of the Lord. And we see in this this piece of poetry, there's there's a kind of repetitiveness that doesn't really come across in the English, apparently. Which is that the Hebrew for, um, I will have hope, is exactly the same as, I will wait. And so bound up in this idea of hopefulness is that, despite my circumstances, I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep persevering. And something is going to change. It's not just a glib, oh, everything's going to be okay, despite what's going on. It's this claim that, despite my circumstance, despite the world crumbling in, I will wait for God. I will dare to have hope, and I will remember that God is good. And actually, we we saw, I think, it's interesting that Matt picked up on the example of winning the lottery, because... We see in most examples of hope, there's this connection between hopefulness and uncertainty. They're kind of two edges of the same sort, or two sides of the same coin. I can never remember which metaphor is the correct one, right? But when we say we hope for something, we mean that, um, I'd like this to happen, but I'm not sure if it will. Well, at least that's what it's, it sounds like we're saying. So I hope that Sheffield Wednesday will be promoted to the Premier League this season. And they're going to be, Right? I hope you have a nice day. We say that all the time. Um, I hope that one day I'll be a millionaire. There's a kind of uncertainty to that. Will you get a first in your degree? Hopefully. Are you planning to have any more children? Hopefully not. So there's a kind of like uncertainty about hope, right? Which is, I really would like this to be the outcome, but I'm not sure um, if that's actually going to be the case. And actually, I think hope is very close to foolishness when we think about it. And when I read the writers like Job and Lamentations, it feel, I, I, in, my, in my mind it feels like their hope is very close to foolishness. In this um, down and out situation that they dare to trust that things are going to get better, there's a kind of madness or foolishness in their hopefulness. And actually, as Matt pointed out, the, the hopeful person is the one that wins the lottery. But it's also the person that spends... £5,408 over the course of their whole lifetime buying a lottery ticket every week it's the same person right? the person that doesn't win the lottery the person that does win the lottery has hope and so it's very close to this idea of foolishness and what I'd like us to think a little bit more about is are these two things the same are hope and foolishness the same concept or is there any difference at all So, um, again, I'm going to get you to think about it yourself, because it's more interesting to hear what you have to say than to just listen to me. So, on your tables, we're going to talk again. I I want you to try and think about, um, is there a difference at all between hope and foolishness? And maybe this will help you to think about it. Think of someone that you consider to be foolish, and someone you consider to be hopeful, and try and pick, pick out what you think the difference between those two people is. So we'll have another three or four minutes and then I'll set Rosie loose amongst you again to find out some of your thoughts. So go and talk about that. do you want to go and find some foolish people to um, tell you a bit more about hope and foolishness? Do you want to go and find some people to tell you a bit more what? about foolishness? Say, so, find something different than you had last time. Who, any thoughts? What, what do you think is the difference? It don't think but I there'll be a difference in going to the wilderness with Tom and Bear Grylls, as much as we had some good chats, I feel like my hope would be a lot more rooted in logic, I was there with Bear Grylls, you know, they're still with the option to get some like alligators, but I trust in his abilities to sort of, for us to survive through that, or at least not so much. So is so the, the difference about who the hope's yeah. in, so Bear Grylls yeah, this, yeah. is more trustworthy than Tom? Tom, Tom. <laughs> no, 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 in that situation. Trust the more. and the same outcomes can still happen okay. it's not that it gets rid of any outcomes or having bad stops anything happening it's just that the situation seems more hopeful you know, the, or the hope feels different because I trust the more ok, good, so has anybody else got any, anything to say about the difference between foolishness and hope Ellie has something to say I think she's putting her hand up I uh, okay. And it's something that happens every year. And, yeah, we I mean, did say that the, unless you change the outcome, so someone foolish would still win, like, you know, Jeff was in colour, <laughs> so it's that idea that you're not realistic about the, the present, like, it's not based on truth of any kind, so you're already really bad, but you're still hoping you're going to win. That's kind of fast foolish. So I guess you could argue the same with the lottery, even though it's possible you could win the lottery, it's probably quite foolish, because you're more likely to... No, get hit by a in lot mm. yeah good. you <laughs> anybody else got anything to say Lizzie has something to say okay, I, okay. I think um, some people could be hopeful of something but don't do anything about it and then that is conditional um, that's interesting yeah so, uh, you got a sharp intake of breath in there. <laughs> <laughs> I just saying that I had a friend who um, was very hopeful about passing all the exams, that but he never actually did any revision. I um, mean, yeah. it didn't pass um, any. Yeah. I yeah, so I think that was, yeah, yeah, but sometimes you have to do Yeah, that's really interesting actually. So you can be hopeful and foolish by it. It can kind of change depending on the circumstance and how, what your reaction to the situation is. Okay, finally, Lizzie, have you got something to say about foolishness? I'm going to steal Craig's idea again. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Craig. Um, but I thought that was really valuable but like, foolishness is kind of a short term thing. So it's something you kind of deal with the very moment or you kind of uh, shorthandly invest in, and kind of, you know, whether or not, without being of the consequence or whatever. But I hope is something that endures. Um, and like sometimes you've had to almost go through a period of foolishness when it's ridiculous but then it's sort of like you've invested so much in it and it's been so steady it so yeah good, uh, that's really good and I think there is a big difference between the, the kind of impulsiveness of foolishness and the long term attitude of having hope in something so be- before we finish and um, we pray together, I just want to draw out some thoughts about hope from the New Testament and I think this can really help us with some of the things we've been thinking about. And, and this verse, I think, is one of those verses that you read it and it just knocks you out. You can kind of pause on every single word that is said. So just, just soak in these words from Paul in Romans. He says this to us. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't pray anything... If you don't pray any other prayer this week... Um, I dare you to pray that over yourself. That's a, that's a really powerful prayer. That's a prayer that um, will change your outlook on how you live. That's a prayer that I think will really make a difference... To whether or not you have this emotional virtue of hope. May the God of hope fill me with joy and peace. Fill you with joy and peace. Fill all of us with joy and peace. That as we trust in him that we may overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's amazing. So let's just think of the, Let's unpack it a little bit more slowly. So I think one of the first things that... And this came out, I can't remember who said it, but it, um, I think it might have been Dan, actually, that, that distinguishes hope from foolishness, I think, which is that what we're hoping in makes a big difference to whether or not it's hope. And actually... When we hope in God, the object of our hope is trustworthy and it's secure. The writers of Lamentations and the Psalms and Job and and people like Abraham, all of these people of hope in the Old Testament that we see, these are all people that I think probably in some people's eyes have a kind of foolishness to them. They look like foolish people. But I think the reason that they're hopeful is because they trust in the God of hope. The hope is secure. It's the, it's the difference between going into the jungle with Bear grills and going into the jungle with Tom Huggles. No offense, right? But one of them is trustworthy and secure and reliable. And the other one... I mean, you're great, but I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure you could cut open a camel and make a shelter for the night. But our hope is in a good God that won't let us down. Do we know that? That when we hope, we are not foolish because... We have a good God. We have a God who is hopeful. And our hope is not just a kind of psychological optimism that might win us the lottery. And that kind of hope is really important for our emotional health. It's really important that we're optimistic and positive about our future. But hope in God, I think, goes further than that. What the Bible promises is not just a kind of optimism about our future, but it's something which is secure. The psalmist tells us that no one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. Our hope in God is secure because God is the God of hope. God has a hope for us. He has a hope for his creation. He has a hope for each one of you. He has a hope to bring all things to goodness. Despite the awful situation that we're in now, God hopes. Well, goodness, God is the good of, God of hope and we can put our hope in him. So what is it that's holding your hope? What are you putting your hope into? Is it the God of hope? Or is it the God of me? Is, it, is your hope put in the God that I pray, dear God, please give me a nice job and lots of friends and a nice house. And actually when those things don't go so well, we lose our hope. Because that's not what it looks like to have a hope in God. Hope in God, as we see from the writings of Job and Lamentations, is that stubbornness that whatever happens, I know that God is good. I know that God will bring all things to his goodness. Even when I don't always see it, I know that God is good and I trust in his promises. So secondly, what do we do? What is hopefulness? According to Paul, I think it's really important that um, it's not just the God of hope. It's not just merely the God of hope, fill you with peace and joy. It's as you trust in him. That's really key, I think, for our hopefulness. And it's really key that our emotional lives, our emotional health is really bound up in our spiritual health. Do you take that seriously? The Bible is full of hope. It's full of promises about God's goodness, about his mercy, and about what he will do with his creation. But if we don't read it, how do we live it? I mean, I know that this is a problem for um, my generation, right? We are the instant culture. We have Twitter. We don't, on the whole, read books. I mean, I might be um, not typical of most people, right? But... um, I really struggled to get into that rhythm of seeking God every day. But the question is, why would we not want to live life with the God of hope? Why would we not? Somebody somebody wiser than me once said to me, why would you not want to make a cake with the master baker? Why would you want to use your own recipe when Mary Berry is standing right next to you? The Bible tells us that we should put on the helmet of salvation, the hope of our salvation. That regardless of our situation, we engage with, we seek after, we pray, we absorb the promises of this good God of hope. God's word is just full of such amazing hope and we need to be serious about this. We need to be serious about our spiritual lives. And, and I'm not saying this because I want you to beat yourself up. I think if anything is going to make you feel more hopeless... It's the fact that, oh, I'm just, my life's so hopeless and I can't even have hope to, like, pray every day. Like, that, that's not what I'm saying. But It starts with the little things, right? It starts in putting our hope in God and not our own strength. It, it might even start with something as simple as, learn that verse and say it to yourself every morning for the next two weeks, the next month. And be disciplined about that we're quite happy to brush our teeth every morning, but are we happy to speak those promises over ourselves? And I think if we're not, we need to really ask ourselves questions about what kind of emotional and spiritual health are we building? And I'm not saying that if we pray more, we read the Bible more, then everything will be rosy and like all our prayers will be magically answered and all our wishes will come true. But if we engage in this God of hope this God that has hope for goodness of the world, then it will change our perspective. I think like um, Lizzie was saying, that one of the key differences between hope and foolishness is the the longevity of it, right? So foolishness is that impulsive, I'm just going to do something. Whereas hope is that long-term fix, it's that change of perspective. The writer of the Lamentations tells us, his mercies are new every morning. So. Do we put that into practice? So, the second point I think we should get from this verse is, do we trust in God? Do we put our hope in the God of hopefulness? And then finally, it's this, right? This is not about trying to be as optimistic as you can be. This is not about going, if I think long enough and hard enough, then things will seem better. Actually, Paul tells us, do you know how you overflow with hope? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a case of, I try really hard and the result is that I become more hopeful. But actually, we are indwelled by God. It says in Colossians that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Christ, the God of glory that came to earth as a man, lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us, every depth. The God of hope made his home in you. And it's, it's really important that we engage with the Holy Spirit, that we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And so, again, this is not really complicated rocket science stuff. This is the simple prayer. And it's a really dangerous prayer as well. But this is the prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me with your hope today. And sometimes that will be a really difficult prayer to pray Sometimes it will be a really easy prayer to prayer. To prayer but it's that, it's that asking God to fill you with his hope. It's not about trying to be as hopeful as you possibly can be. It's about letting God fill you with his hope. So let me ask you, what, where are you at with this idea of hopefulness? When you think, when you read these passages, when you read of people like Job and um, the psalmists and the Lamentations, when you read verses like this, what's your reaction? Now I'm not going to ask you to talk about this on your tables and get Rosie to come and ask you all, but what's your reaction in your heart? What is hope something? Do you find yourself a hopeful person? Do you engage in with the God of hopefulness? really? What if, what's the small thing that you could do this week to Not have that just kind of foolish gut reaction, but to put the things in process which will change your perspective, which will engage you with the God of hope and the power of his Holy Spirit. Not so that we can just be little hopeful people in the world, but that we can overflow with the hopefulness of God's good news. But who doesn't want that to be overflowing with hopefulness? So you might want to just think, what's the one thing I'm going to do this week? How, what's the one change I'm going to make? And again, this is, like, this is like our physical health. We could always be a little bit healthier. We could always be a little bit more hopeful. And so I think for all of us, there'll be something to think about and something to process and something to say. Um, how am I going to engage with this um, idea of hopefulness this week? So for, you might want to make a note in your notebook or your phone um, or just tell someone to make sure you do it this week right. But I think it's really important that we do that. But before we finish, and um, before um, I pray for us and we worship together, the God of um, hope, um, we're just going to do this little exercise. Which So when Roger came, he, he talked us through some, some exercises which kind of um, border on exercises that um, psychologists um, use and um, kind of merged with spiritual practices. Um, like meditation for instance and prayer and mindfulness and there's a a kind of merging of psychology and Christian spirituality and um, this might not be your cup of tea this might be something that you think this is brilliant and I'm going to go away and do this um, with my friends every morning or whatever but it's a way of just engaging in this idea of hope and reflecting on our own situation a little bit more so I'm just going to ask you to um, get in a comfortable position and, sit and close your eyes if you find that less distracting. Um, but if you want to keep them open, that's absolutely fine. Okay, and I want you to um, imagine. I want you to bring to mind something um, in your head that is an obstacle or a hindrance in your life. Something that and you you don't really know how you're going to get through or get over, and you're worried about it. So I want you to just put that in front of you, and it might help to just visualise that and literally um, put it in front of you on the table. And now I'd like to just imagine, just for a second, that thing in front of you. Um, what would it look like if God changed that situation? What would it look like if miraculously um, you were healed? Or if miraculously um, there was a change, if there was a crack in the darkness, or that light finally came into the secretion? And if just, even if it's just for a second, I just want you to imagine, what would that change look like for you? And this is, the point of this is not that we um, just present wishes to God, that we present things that we just really want to happen, but it's this idea that we um, become optimistic people, that we expect God to do um, powerful things, that we expect God to change our situations. And so this might be something that you want to just dwell on a little bit more in the week, or as we worship together. Um, it might be something that you want to keep praying about, but it's... According to Roger, just this dwelling on what would happen if God changed it is, has a real power to change our attitude and how we pray and how we think about situations. So you might want to go away and um, practice that a few times at home or um, we'll do it in your cell group. Um, but it's just that power of being optimistic about the future that can be really powerful. So let me just pray for this and then we're going to worship together. So if you want to stand, I'm just going to pray. Father God, God of hope, I pray that you would fill us all in this room right now with your joy and your peace. And I pray that you would help us every day to trust in you, to trust in you, the God of hope. And Lord, we ask that by that your Holy Spirit would just fill your people now. And I ask just for an i of your hope. I just pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would fill your church, you'd fill your people.